Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. One of the most common questions we get, but particularly when a couple is having some kind of troubles, maybe they're separated already, or at least they're in great enough difficulty that they don't know exactly what's going to happen. One spouse typically wants out on this situation. The other spouse is trying to save the relationship if he or she can. And they ask us about a thing that we named smart contact. Now, we're going to explain what smart contact is in just a moment and answer several questions about it. Uh, My co-host here is Kimberly Holmes, our CEO, our leader here at Marriage Helper. And she just flew back last night from Israel. So uh, are you still asleep? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So 28 hours of flying and then get home at 1 a.m. I think, oh, it's going to be great. I'm going to sleep in. I'll get eight hours of sleep. Nope, slept about four hours, <laughs> woke up, but about 30 minutes ago, I definitely hit a wall. So I went and grabbed my handy coffee and I'm going to make it through. <laughs> that is what I'm going to do. So apparently when you sip from that coffee, we're actually going to be giving a, a spot for a, a particular coffee company. <laughs> I've, I've turned it around. <laughs> okay, we've turned it around, so that makes no difference. So Kimberly, yeah. when it comes to this thing called smart contact, we get asked more about that probably than any other thing we get asked about. Mm-hmm. Can you explain to our, the folks here it, the general principle of what we mean by smart contact? Yeah, so originally it stemmed from when people would, again, go to Google because that's where we in this century are going to to Mm. get our answers for everything. Mm. So when people would go to Google and they would start looking up how... How am I supposed to talk to my spouse when they won't talk to me? What do I do when we're in the middle of a fight or separation or divorce or whatever it might be? And the prevalent articles and podcasts and the information that was out there said, well, you need to not contact your spouse. You need to, um, well, there's one of two extremes, either number one, let them go. If they come back, they're yours. That's how you know. <laughs> There's that whole thing. Somebody asked me that the other day. You know, I've heard all my life, if you love something, let it go. If it comes back to yours, you, it's yours forever. If they don't come back, it never should have been yours anyway. And they asked me what I thought about that. And I said, there are all kinds of slogans and axioms and so-called wisdom that are idiotic, including we, that one. So we don't do that with our dogs. No. We go out and look for them. Oh, and we're not like... saying that your spouse is a dog. <laughs> no. But, I mean, think about it. like any other thing in life. If our kid gets away from us at the mall, it's not like, oh, well, he'll find his way back. No, that's not what we do. So uh, there's that side of it. And then the other side of it is, well, you need to be in front of them every day. You need to call them, text them, email them, something, because if you're not in touch with them, they'll forget about you. Or mm. if you're not in touch with them, they're going to feel like you don't love them anymore. And therefore their heart is going to go elsewhere. So you need to hang on to that. And there's, I think there's a saying people use with that one as well, but I can't remember it right now. I don't now. remember that saying either, but they're saying either you text every day or you call every day, you email every day. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, um, we often hear that the other spouse, the one that's pulling away or has pulled away is saying, leave me the heck alone. Don't bother mm-hmm. me anymore. And yet some of these, uh, gurus are still saying, Mm -hmm. no, don't pay attention to that. You just still pour it on because that's the thing to do. Mm -hmm. Our conclusion is in between those two things. Mm -hmm. And we think it's smarter. As a matter of fact, that's when we call it smart contact. Yeah. And the interesting thing about this is it's not just something you can use for if there is something of a major crisis. A lot of times people are asking about this and using this for separation physically, physical separation or divorce in process. But this is also something that can be used for you and your spouse are in an argument. Maybe it's lasting for a couple of days, whatever that might look like. It's something people have used with their kids as well of, I'm not going to push myself on you, which is one side of this, but I'm also not going to ignore you either. Instead, I'm going to use this communication technique of being smart with the way I'm communicating with you. We could even call it smart communication um, instead of smart contact, but 
it's this middle ground of it. So these people were coming to us and saying, I've tried this, I've tried contacting them every day, it didn't work. I've tried not contacting them at all, it didn't work. What am I supposed to do? And so as Joe said, we came up with this smart contact, which basically, um, I don't know how you want to start diving into it because it's well, let's put I it this way. It's typically, uh, this is the kind of thing you use when it's not going to be particularly smart to be in contact with your spouse every day. Now, there are situations when it is smart to be in contact with your spouse every day. If, if he or she is reacting positively to you and feeling good about the relationship, even if that person may be someplace else, like maybe deployed, for example, or um, off on a business trip, or even has taken another apartment a block or two blocks or eight blocks away, and yet still is interacting with you daily and, and, and they're really enjoying communicating with you. In other words, they're not saying, back off, leave me alone. Then daily contact is great. That's wonderful as long as still you're not pushing. And we'll talk more about what we mean about pushing in a minute. Um, but daily contact is great if you're not pushing. Particularly though, the smart contact thing or smart communication, I like that, is something you really need to be aware of when the other person is pulling away from you or has pulled away from you because now you need to be careful about the way you interact or you'll really push him or her further away from you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we start this SMART contact with an acronym. This acronym is going to guide us through what we're going to talk about with this process. And if at any point during this, if you're watching this live, then please type in your questions, type in uh, comments that you're having, anything that you would like more clarification on. We're manning that right now and we'll see uh, how we can answer those. So the first one that we'll start with. Well, just before we go into the acronym, let me yeah. at least say this if I may. This is based on the principle that people don't want to feel that they're being manipulated, they're being chased, they're being controlled. So in other words, when, when somebody's pulling away from you, you're trying to cling or coerce or manipulate, trying to make anything happen, rather than bringing them back to you, tends to actually propel them away from you. And that's what the whole principle, understand. You don't want to push the person away from you further. And often though, people, because they think, well, if he's pulling away or she's pulling away, I've got to do everything I can to pull him or her mm -hmm. back. And quite often the things they do, the other person reacts badly to because I don't want you to manipulate me and I feel manipulated. I don't want you to control me. I, I feel like you're trying to control me. You're trying to make me do something I don't want to do. So that's the underlying principle. If you do that, if you whine, beg, plead, any of those things, the other person is going further away. Now that's the basic principle. And then uh, Kimberly actually came up with this brilliant acronym to help you understand what smart contact is. So the first one is the S and for that we say stop push behaviors. So you might ask, well, what is a push behavior? So just as what Joe was just saying, anything that's going to inadvertently, unintentionally, I'm sure in the way that you're doing it, anything that's going to push them further away, even if that's not your intention. So the begging, the pleading, the whining. It could even be that you continue talking about an issue that your spouse needs some space from. Maybe you've had a fight about finances or the kids or something and you and your spouse haven't come to an agreement, a conclusion on it, and you keep pushing the issue. You keep bringing it up and it's pushing your spouse further away. It's shutting them down even more. It's not being conducive to having a good conversation is what mm. these are. And often you think, well, no, no, no. We just really need to deal with this right now. Mm -hmm. There are some things in life you would need to deal with right now. I mean, if a, <laughs> if a rattlesnake bites you, you need to deal with that right now. Mm -hmm. But many things when it comes to a relationship are things that you actually would do better if you had a whole lot of patience about it. Mm. Now I realize you're hurting or you're scared and, and these emotions are driving you. And it's like, I've got to have some kind of reconciliation of this, some kind of solution right away. But you, if it's all possible, you need to control that and back off because pushing the other person sometimes will actually get them to do what you want them to do. And you'll think, great, it worked. Mm, no, it didn't because they do it, but they resent it. What you're trying to do here is understand it's all about the relationship. It's not about handling this specific thing right now. It's about how does all of this affect the relationship? And so when she says, stop the push behavior, you need to ask yourself, 
wow, is this pushing him away or pushing her away? Now, we often get the question, uh, and it comes in various forms in our Facebook groups and other things like that, like, hey, what about this particular thing I need to do? Is this a push behavior? And, and we can give all kinds of examples of that if you want to come back to it. Because people are often asking, I'm not sure if this is a push behavior or not. The first thing I would say is this. If you think it may be a push behavior, don't do it right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? And and if you're asking other people for their opinion about whether it's a push behavior, make sure you ask somebody who really knows what he or she's talking about. Because mm-hmm. everybody has an opinion and, and are free to give you their opinions. But sometimes you need a, maybe even a professional opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk to us or somebody about, do you think this might push the other person away? Mm-hmm. And, and it typically doesn't matter if you wait a day or two or three while mm-hmm. you're trying to figure that out. Are there situations where you might need to make a decision quickly? Well, sure, but typically not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I can't tell you how many times Rob, who's my husband, so Rob and I may have been in a fight about, about something, a disagreement, and... In me, I've wanted to address the issue, to push the issue, to find clarification, but there was something in me that said, you should probably wait a couple of days. This isn't an emergency. But then there was this other part of me that thought, <laughs> but I want to do it right now. And that's the one that won out. That is, and I can't, every time I knew I shouldn't have done it, it always made things worse. Every single time. It's so true what Joe just said. The things that we think we create emergencies in our head that aren't in actuality an emergency. And actually, the more time you can give something, you're gonna become calmer. You're gonna be able to address it differently. You're gonna have better body language, a better tone of voice, be less emotional when you address it, and the conversation will be more productive when you do eventually have it Mm -hmm. than when you are so emotional. We've Mm -hmm. seen it time and time again. And our coaches, just like Joe was alluding to earlier, they are so helpful in helping you decrease your anxiety levels, help you address how to approach your spouse about things, about situations that might be going on, even in situations where you might be thinking, do I even try to speak to him because there's or her because there's not conversation at all right now. That doesn't mean your marriage is over. That doesn't mean that there's not a way to get your spouse to talk to you. It just takes that good, guided, that expert help that someone from a third party who's a professional is able to provide probably better than your sister, your dad, your mom, your best friend, who's going to be more biased in helping you along in that situation. Because because they love you. Mm -hmm. doesn't mean they're bad people or have bad judgment. It's just they love you, and that tends to prejudice that. Yeah. So if you want to know more about our coaching, just call us at our office. Um, You can find us at Marriage Helper. That's marriagehelper.com. And, and if you, uh, most of the time you won't need a coach to help you with this. Okay. You really won't. But if it gets to a situation where you think, I think I'm blowing this, I'm messing up. That's when you really want to call us, line up some sessions with our, one of our coaches. Uh, we have male and female coaches, whichever is more comfortable or convenient for you. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, it's even better than if you try to go on like one of our Facebook groups and pose the question, because if you do, uh, we're still only reading, you know, an inch or two right. of information there and then trying to give a response. Yeah. Typically in those cases it's better. If you think it's that big a deal, mm-hmm. then call us and talk to one of our coaches who can listen, who can understand, who can get all the nuances mm-hmm. and then suggest, maybe you want to try it this way. Maybe you want to try it that way. Mm-hmm. And they just had on the screen how to contact us. Yeah. Okay? I will say as a quick, just little blip here, The people that I've personally seen do smart contact well are the people who have a really good grip on their own emotions and of the situation. So the people who are able to self-soothe, that's the only word I know how to use it right now. That's a psychological term. Can you explain that a little more? Still jet lagged. Well, basically it means you're not going to have to have um, chemicals. Um, And some people do. And if you're taking medicine for anxiety or depression, don't hear me putting that down. If you need those meds, God bless you that you've got them. Use them. Mm -hmm. But self-soothers are people that don't have to go run and find a bunch of support right now, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether that's chemical uh, or any other way, including relational. It's like, okay, I can calm myself down. Right. It's a great trait if you can develop it. Right. So the people who aren't looking for instant gratification from things, who can 
practice patience, who those are, those are the traits you want to increase in yourself as you're practicing smart contact. So the more you can increase those things, being patient, taking deep breaths, waiting, uh, you know, working on your own emotions, focusing on yourself, then the more success you're going to have in general with being able to practice this smart communication, the smart contact. So the S is stop push behaviors. The M is, okay, now I'm not going to do those things, but I still need, I mean, how am I going to talk to him? There's still, or her, there's still things we need to talk about. What does that look like? So we recommend for the M, manage business items together. And I put business in quotations because it doesn't have to be actual, you own a business together and that's what you're talking about. Some couples do. Many couples do. Mm -hmm. And so that could be it, but we're talking about things that are not marriage specific and not emotional specific. Do you want to... Yeah, basically, for example, like um, let's say you're separated and, and hubby is living in one place and wife in the other place, and, and their thing is about the kids. Uh, like, mm-hmm. for example, the guidance counselor says, you know, we're having some trouble with Charlie's acting out. Well, that's something that your spouse needs to know about. And so then you pick up the phone and you call um, and say, hey, I need to talk to you about Charlie. It's got his counselor call me. Is it okay? And the reason I would say, is it okay, is because you want to make sure that he or she still is not feeling manipulated. Like, oh, you're going to try to use this to make me feel guilty because we're separated. If you're going to manage business, manage business. Don't try to get any zingers in. Don't try to go like, mm, even in implication, like if you were here doing what you need to be doing, this wouldn't be happening. Avoid that. It's truly about the business. Hey, here's a thing happening with our kid. I uh, thought you might want to know about it. Is it okay if we talk about it? Because we might need to come to some solutions together. So it could be that. It could be having to do with your taxes that are due. Hey, it's time to file the taxes and I want to know how you want to do that. Almost every time, whether the contact is by text or email or by phone, and by the way, my preference when possible is face-to-face, although you may not always have that possibility, because then there's less likelihood of misunderstanding. The next after that, I would say phone, because at least you can hear the other person's tone of voice. Then under that, I would go email, because at least you can elaborate. And then under that, I would go text, where you really can't elaborate much. But if text is the only way that he or she will allow you to contact, then that's the way you do it. You do with whatever is available. But the best is, hey, we got a problem with Charlie's guidance counselor called. Uh, would you mind meeting me at the school to talk to the guidance counselor? She wants to talk to us. Or uh, would you mind that you and I uh, just meet down at Starbucks for about 15 minutes to talk about Charlie? I just want to talk to you about that. Or when you come to get the kids next week, can we cut out 10 minutes to talk about this? Do it without pushing. You still don't want to push. But whatever the business might be, whether it's taxes, kids, an actual business that you have together, uh, anything else, um, it can even be you found out that his best friend um, has cancer now and you're not sure if he knows. And it's just like, hey, I've got some news about Fred. Um, Can we talk for a couple of minutes? But always ask for the permission. But those kinds of times, it makes sense to contact a spouse. Now, here's the interesting, and I want to hear your point on this one. We get this one all the time. But tomorrow is our anniversary. Mm. And we haven't talked for, you know, a month now, uh, other than just to exchange the kids. What do you think about my sending an anniversary card? How would you respond to that? I wouldn't send it. (laughs) And and why wouldn't you send it? Well, first of all, a card, I might, if I were to do anything... um, I might give a quick call or send a quick text and simply say something like, hey, I'm really glad you've been a part of my life the past 10 years, whatever it is. Uh, But I wouldn't say happy anniversary. I still love you. Can't wait for you to come home. I mean, that it depends on what stage you're in. There's the key. It depends on what stage you're in. Yeah. Because if you're still having at least some communication, that call that you talked about Mm -hmm. is a good call. Right. But if he or she has said, leave me the heck alone. Then, oh, then I wouldn't do it. Then even that call is right. not appropriate. Because even the, even then, especially if your spouse has said to you multiple times, you, you just keep berating me, you won't change, this, that, and the other, then doing that on the anniversary, they're going to see that as, see, 
you still aren't changing. You're not listening to me. That's part of the problem. You're mm -hmm. constantly just wanting to do what you want to do. You're not giving me my space. And so it can make things worse. But again, this is one of those situations where it, it depends. You've got to use some wisdom. You do have to use wisdom. And, and it's based on how things are going in the relationship right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. If, if, if it's that terse communication where it's pretty well, leave me the heck alone, then leave them the heck alone other than to manage business. Mm -hmm. If there is actually some communication, and then maybe that quick phone call, hey, just think about what happened 10 years ago. I just want to tell you how happy, as you said, that you've been in my life. That's it. You're done. Okay. No elaboration on that. And, and that's the wisdom you have to use based on how he or she is reacting mm -hmm. to whatever communication you're having right now. But when they say, well, we haven't talked in a month, except when we change kids, we just say, hi, should I send an anniversary card? And my response is, I don't think I would. As a matter of fact, a general rule of thumb here and understand we can only talk in rules of thumbs because situations are so unique. Mm -hmm. Most of this is more of an art than a science, but the general rule of thumb is don't do anything that you fear has a great likelihood of causing a negative reaction. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't do it if I think it's even 50, 50 likelihood mm -hmm. it would create a negative reaction. I would only do it if I feel like hmm, there's a pretty low likelihood that he or she's going to get upset mm -hmm. and actually a high likelihood that it'll be okay. That's one of the criteria I would use as my rule of thumb. Mm -hmm. So we just had mother's day. We have father's day coming up as well. Mm -hmm. So this is that same principle you'd want to apply to that kind of question of, do I send the father's day card? Do, what do I do there? It's that same rule of thumb. Now let me ask you a question. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about people throwing a hail Mary? What do you so mean? <laughs> So these are the people who say, listen, the divorce is becoming final. I want to like, I want to do a last ditch something that we wouldn't typically recommend when we're talking about smart contacts. So for example, I'm specifically thinking of a situation of a guy who wrote this long letter for the last court date and the, and they hadn't talked in seven months. There had been no communication, been blocked out of lives. There's no kids together at that point. And so he wrote this long letter, gave it to her at the court date. It was his Hail Mary. What would you say about that? Uh, I want to know first how she reacted. Well, she didn't say anything at the court date. All he saw was her friend that she had brought with her reading it to her afterward and her crying, the, uh, the wife right. crying. But what I can tell you now is from that letter, she then contacted him a couple of weeks later, asked him to come down to see her. Uh -huh. she, he came down to see her and now they are reconciling. Awesome. It is awesome. Tremendous. Absolutely wonderful. I don't know that I would have seen that coming from him doing that. But in that case, there was, it was, I mean, that was it. Mm -hmm. Which is the, another basic principle, which is that ultimately, no matter what anybody teaches you or suggests, et cetera, it's always ultimately your decision. Mm -hmm. And if that just felt like the right thing to do, like it just feels right that I should give this to her, she may react negatively. She might react neutrally. She might react positively. I don't know, but it's just in my heart. I just feel like that's what I need to do. Well, then do it. If that's what you feel, go for it. But understand if you decide to do a Hail Mary like that, you need to be willing to accept whatever reaction comes. Yep. If the reaction is, how dare you, then don't get mad at her. Right. If the reaction is neutral, don't get your feelings hurt. Mm -hmm. If the reaction is positive, awesome, wonderful. That's a great thing. Mm -hmm. So that's how I would suggest that people do Hail Marys. Is that first of all, just feel it in your own heart that you can, are convinced this is the right thing to do, mm -hmm. no matter what anybody else suggests to you. And secondly, that you must in, a, in advance, prepare yourself that this may not go well. And if so, you're not going to react badly to it. Yep. If it reacts well, if, the, if it gets a good reaction, awesome, wonderful. But you've got to be prepared. What if it doesn't? What if it has just the opposite? Absolutely. Now, since you said they didn't have children together, right? Mm -hmm. At that time, no. Okay. So which that meant that um, he had little or nothing to lose because he was not going to have any more contact with her, period. Mm -hmm. They didn't have a business together, nope. didn't have kids together. Mm -mm. And so this was literally the last shot. Yep. So what have I got to lose? Exactly. And sometimes when you've got nothing else to lose, why not? Just don't mm -hmm. do anything stupid right. because you've got nothing else to lose. Right. 
but I, I can see him. I can see why he did that. And, and, uh, and if he had told me it's my last shop, no more contact because et cetera, et cetera, I might've suggested, sure. If that's what you feel in the heart, give you, give it a, a shot. If it had been another person saying, well, no, we still have a lot of other things to talk about over the next or six or seven months. My suggestion might've been, yeah. maybe this is not the best time to do that. Right. But understand, we only give you ideas and suggestions, help you think things through. It is always your choice. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. Not your mom, not your dad, not your brother, your sister, your friend, not your counselor, not your therapist. Because you see, nobody has a right to tell you what to do because they don't have to live with the consequences of your doing it. Mm -hmm. You do. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, make your own decision. Yeah. So the first one, we have the stop push behaviors, manage business items together. For the A, we have allow your spouse to start conversations with you. Excellent. Yes. So in this, this is where a lot of people dropped off at first, where they would be practicing the no contact of, nope, this is his consequences or her consequences, whatever. When they try and talk to me, I'm just not even going to respond, which is just not smart. <laughs> but, but it is your right. It is you your You can right. choose to do that if you wish. We're not telling you that you're evil if you don't talk to them. But if you want any possibility of putting this relationship back together, Right. It depends on what the goal is for you. If your goal is to save your marriage and your spouse reaches out and it's not a text message yelling at you, that's not the kind of conversations we're talking yeah, about. Don't respond to that. Right. There's no good in responding to that. <laughs> not at all. Uh, and we do get that question a lot. So if this is a, a reach out of, hey, how was your day? Or, hey, uh, with the kids, you know, this is something going on. Whatever it is, if your spouse reaches out to you, engage that conversation go through the go talk to them and when you respond to them when you're talking to them you don't want to start practicing these push behaviors again you still want to be very gentle in your tone of voice in the way that you're communicating and you want to be very kind in how you're talking to them but you also want to be strong if you can, you don't want to just fall apart in the middle of the conversation. You don't want to let your spouse walk all over you either. No. This is really a fine balance in those three things, being strong, being calm, and being gentle. Sometimes under this heading of the allow the spouse to contact you, people get to a situation where they're saying, but, but I feel like that my spouse thinks there's no negative consequence to what he or she is doing. Mm -hmm. There's a thing called the Valley. You can go on our website, find articles about the Valley. You can look at other podcasts that we have done, for example, on uh, Spreaker.com, and you can find us talking about the Valley. I think we've even on this program talked about the Valley some. The very, very brief version of that is the Valley is when your spouse feels like the relationship with you is going well but also they're involved with somebody else or something else, some other lifestyle at least, but typically somebody else, and that's going well. And, and because of that, they're in the valley. They don't feel like they have to make a decision one way or the other. I can just go like this forever. Now, don't have time to talk about the valley right now, but that thing exists. And sometimes people say, but wait a minute, if I allow my spouse to contact me, it's like I'm saying it's okay that you're still living with her. Mm. Okay. In, in reference to that idea, there is a time when there's actually value in letting the person stay in the valley if you can handle it, if it's not ripping you apart or not doing great damage to your children in some fashion. But there can be value in that because at least now in this communication, you have a possibility of reestablishing or reconnecting emotionally, and that would be a good thing. There's also a time when sometimes you just say, no, the valley can't continue anymore. Uh, there's got to be some consequences and, and typically we suggest that you do that. Of course you can do it whenever you wish, but we suggest that you do that when it's damaging you or your kids or even, even your spouse physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually doing damage, then it's time to pull the plug. But even then, even if you pull that plug and say, I'm not letting this happen anymore, there's still some value in allowing your spouse to contact you and you don't have to tell them every time, look, I am not in agreement with what you're doing, you scumbag. <laughs> they they can know that you're not happy with what they're doing. There's certain behaviors that you're not tolerating and allowing. But if, if you still have in mind to try to save your marriage, there's still value in allowing them to contact you if you can handle emotionally. Because now it's not the valley anymore because you've actually put some consequences in place. 
I'm not letting you do this without consequence. Here's the consequence. I filed for legal separation and now you've got to pay child support and alimony, or I'm going to start the divorce procedure or whatever it might be. But you've made the consequences, which means technically you have stopped the valley per se, but he or she is still trying to contact you. If you can handle it. And if you still want to save the marriage, there's value in letting him or her do that. Now you might be thinking, but what if they want to talk about what they're feeling or going through? If you want to do that, allow it. I suggest that if you can, you do. Because this thing, that lifestyle they're now involved with, or this person they're now involved with, at some point, it's going to become unattractive. And the more that they've been able to share, talk, communicate with you, the greater the likelihood that whenever that starts falling apart, that you become the option they want to come to for whatever it is they need, including a relationship. Now, if you don't want the marriage to last anymore, don't do any of this. But still, even then, there's value in allowing people, allowing your spouse to still contact you, even after you have ended the valley. So, Kimberly, I'm not sure I made that make any sense at all. So, <laughs> I, I think you did a great job. Okay, so uh, synthesize it in a sentence or two. Okay. So, when we're in a situation where our spouse is in this, would you call it a holding pattern? We can do that indecision, this valley that Joe's talking about then, and we're wanting to know how can smart contact, I mean, how, how do I do this in a way where they don't feel like I'm condoning what they're doing, that I'm completely fine with it. Um, I mean, basically we, we hold on as long as we can. So when they're in that valley and we can handle them being in that valley, then we still want to practice this smart contact for as long as we can of being kind, being strong, being gentle in the way that we communicate with them, but also not using every chance we can to berate them for what they're doing, to remind them that how much it's hurting us, that, that they should have consequences. It's really um, what I have a quote from you here is about how this process, this smart contact isn't about withholding love. It's about demonstrating love in a way that doesn't push your spouse further away. Even when your spouse is in that valley where they're being indecisive, we want to be, make ourselves be the option that they would want to come back to when they come to their senses. I wrote that. You did write That's that. That's pretty smart. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> you did write that. And so the R. The R is, let me look it up. Uh, respond in a way, which we've talked about, that is calm, strong, and gentle. When your spouse contacts you, respond in that way. And then the T is to take it one day at a time, which we talked about earlier of that we can make things become these emergencies in our lives that we feel like we have to do it today. Or maybe today we messed up. We did push in some way. We did contact them and tell them about how much we miss them and how uh, we just wish they would come home. Maybe we did something that ended up not making the situation go the way we wanted it to. That's going to happen. But guess what? Tomorrow's a new day. And this is about, if you were to look at a graph, you want to see a consistent trend upwards over time, or I guess to you all it would look like this, a consistent trend upward over time. Um, while there's going to be a dip, if it's still going up in a general direction, then you're moving in the right way. We just don't want it to stay stagnant or definitely not to go down. So if you're practicing these things day in, day out, I can tell you that I have been with Marriage Helper for six or seven years now, and it's daily, I'm learning new things, I'm practicing these things, and it makes a huge difference when you're a learner of how to be a great spouse. Just like when you're in a profession, you want to continue to learn how to be a great accountant or learn how to be a great professor or doctor. You want to stay up on that research. We want to do that as parents. We want to do that as spouses too. And when you're doing that, it makes a huge difference in how you come across. Mm -hmm. And under that R where you said respond in a way mm -hmm. that's calm and gentle yet strong, don't lash back. Mm. Sometimes you'll want to, mm -hmm. but don't do that. There's no value in lashing back. And 
And if you realize that you're about, you know, let's say your spouse has contacted you, which we say under the A, allow the spouse to contact you, but you realize that the mood you're in today, mm -hmm. this is not going to go well, then my suggestion is you gently get out of that conversation. Mm -hmm. Just say, hey, you know, uh, I got some things going on. I'd love to talk to you. Can we talk tomorrow? Get out of it. Because if you know you're in a bad mood already, if you know that your emotions are barely under control, then you know that if your spouse says the wrong thing in this communication, you're going to lash out. You're going to say something mean. You're going to do something you shouldn't have done. So head that off at the pass. If you know that's the great likelihood, somehow gently extricate yourself from that before it happens. And like Kimberly says, if, if you blow it, tomorrow is a, another day. Mm -hmm. Try not to blow it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> try, try not to blow it, but one day at a time, one day at a time. And don't go beating yourself up if you don't do this stuff perfectly. I don't know anybody that does it perfectly, mm -hmm. but you should become pretty doggone good at it. Yeah. Really. Absolutely. So the question we have that is really great. So someone says, my husband is still at home and he has another woman, but he's confused about what he wants. So would it be considered pushy to join him in the living room when he watches TV in the evenings, or should I just let him come to me? Okay. So let's apply this back to SMART. Mm -hmm. We talked about SMART contact. S is stop any push behavior. Mm -hmm. M is manage business items. A is allow your spouse to start conversations. R re respond <laughs> in a way that is strong and calm and gentle okay. and then take it a day at a time. Okay. So the real question on this one would be then, okay, is this going to be considered to be a push behavior? Mm -hmm. Remember push behavior is anything that your spouse is going to interpret or that you are pretty sure that your spouse is going to interpret as being manipulative or whining or begging or pleading or anything like that. So here's what I would suggest. If you're not real sure, if you think, well, you know, I don't know if he would or not, then walk in, sit down, watch the TV. Don't start a conversation, just do it. But out of the corner of your eye, watch him. If, if he's okay with that, stay. If out of the corner of your eye, you see him begin to shift around, begin to get uncomfortable, kind of cast a glance at you like, what the heck are you doing in here? Then, then uh, wait a minute or two and then, and then get up, smile and walk back out of the room and don't come back in to do it. In other words, Mm -hmm. Some things you just don't know ahead of time if they're going to react one way or the other. So give it a shot, but do it in a way where you can extricate yourself rapidly. I don't mean run out of the room. That's a negative. Don't do that. But extricate yourself if you see he's not comfortable. But if he is, great. Sit there and watch the TV with him. I still wouldn't initiate the conversations. Now, if you've been there two or three or four nights watching TV with him and you go to a commercial and, and you have a question about the show you're watching, like, I'm not sure what, what did that guy just say? That's a great conversation because it's still not about the marriage. It's just the two of you communicating like two people watching television, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't do that the first night. Mm -hmm. I'd wait to make sure he was comfortable that I was, that I was there. Then if he answers gently and kindly, like or just a regular communication, don't push it. Oh, thank you. Then watch TV again. In other words, don't just, Oh, he opened up. He talked to me. Let me, jump in there and get it. No patience. One day at a time, slowly, easily. And that's where you can find out whether this can be smart contact or not. Yeah. I love what you just said, Joe, because body language is a language. It's definitely a type of communication. And so if you're in a situation, which is again, why we very much encourage that face-to-face -face contact, because you can read that body language. So yes. And, and you don't have to be an expert at it. No, you don't. <laughs> You can tell, I mean, humans innately, we know what certain body language means, but your body language makes a difference as well, makes a difference mm -hmm. as well. So when you're sitting on the couch, if you're sulking, if you're trying to do things uh, with your body language to get attention or to show that you're sad or that you wish that things were different, that's again going to push him away. So you don't want to sit there and just kind of be turned away from him. Or if this was him, you don't want to be turned away from him. Or, uh, you know, you want to look ha happy mm -hmm. ultimately. So we encourage that as well. So that's a great question. And Joe, of course, gave a great answer. And there's a bit of a conversation that happened on the chat around this question. So someone responded to her and said, go to one of the weekend workshops, go to one of the marriage helper weekends. And a conversation happened after that about um, some people saying that they can't get their spouse to go because they've asked them once and they said no. 
This is another question we get a lot of, well, I asked my husband to do something with me, whether it's the workshop, whether it's coaching, whatever that might be, and they said no. That's not uncommon. And it also doesn't mean that the answer is indefinitely no. It means that it's no at that time, but there's definitely a time in the future you could bring it up again. I think a lot of people get very uh, disheartened and discouraged when they ask their spouse to do something, they say no, and they're afraid to approach that again. What's your recommendation and encouragement on that? Well, I wouldn't be so persistent as to aggravate them. Oh, gosh, no. You know, you don't want to just badger mm -hmm. with them. Uh, people react badly to that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. but, but maybe something to think about here then is this. Everybody's favorite radio station is WIIFM. WIIFM, yeah, what's in it for me? If you begin to think about something that would benefit your spouse or that your spouse would feel as a benefit, then that's the way to come back at it the next time. So for example, if little Charlie, if, if you have a kid named Charlie, obviously, if little Charlie's having trouble at school and your parent says something about, we've got to figure out how to do this better parenting, you know, hey, then, you know, they tell me that that's something we really can learn a lot about at that workshop. Now, it's not a parenting workshop. It is about marriage, without a doubt. But they say that every principle they talk about is applicable to how you parent your kids. And so there are a lot of people that come out of there saying, you know, we learn about parenting a lot, about how to deal with our kids through this thing. And if you will, why don't you go with that purpose? Now, understand they will talk a lot about marriage, so I'm not trying to deceive you. I don't want to walk in the door and you get there and think, you, you lied to me. It's about marriage, but those principles actually help with the kids mm -hmm. or whatever it might be. Or if he or she, let's say it's a wife this time, and she says, you know, after going through this debacle with you, I don't know if I can ever be married again because I don't think I know anything about how to be in a recent, decent, not recent, but decent relationship. Then your response might be, hey, what they tell me is that even the people that decide not to stay married after they come out of the workshop, 99% of them still recommend the workshop and say it was one of the best experiences of their lives mm -hmm. and that you learn a lot about relationships. Now, I realize you may not want to continue a relationship with me, but I'm assuming at some point you'd want to have one. I'm not trying to lie to you. I'm not trying to deceive you. I would hope that you would decide to have it with me, but you can actually learn about that if we go to the workshop together and, and if we go, I'm not going to browbeat you to stay married to me. I just ask that we go and listen to what they say and learn from it about relationships. In other words, I would look, if it were I, I would look for some opportunity where there's some benefit to the other person. And, and that's when I would bring it up again. Mm -hmm. Or even if they showed any hesitancy, like, I wish we could have worked this thing out at some point. Hey, me too. And we may never, but you know, Maybe we can at least learn what we did wrong. Let's go to that workshop. Surely by now you're getting the principle I'm talking about. You listen, you pay attention. And when you find him or her talking about something that you can tie to the workshop, then that's the time to bring it up again, not to browbeat them, not to push it really hard, but to say, hmm, that can happen for us. Ultimately, of course, Kimberly, we know that sometimes people get their spouses to come to the workshop by saying, and if you come to the workshop, I'll do this for you in the divorce. Couple of things we recommend about that. Number one is don't offer that unless you really are going to give up that thing and not be mad that you gave it up. Don't mm -hmm. offer something you're going to get ticked about that you offered later. Right. Secondly, I wouldn't use that as the first line of defense. I wouldn't use that as the first thing to try to get your husband or wife there. Mm -hmm. Now, many people do use that and the spouses do come for that reason. But I would start where I said by listening to other things they talk about and trying to tie it to one of those. That's how I would do it if it were right. Absolutely. That's great encouragement. And again, our coaches, because there's a conversation happening on the chat function, our coaches can help you as an individual. So a lot of people give up so easily because they say, well, my husband, my wife, they're mm. checked out. Therefore, yeah. there's no hope. I'm done. I'm angry, whatever that is. And unfortunately, we see so many marriages end that had so much hope left in them because the, the one spouse who was standing for a while or wanted to save the marriage when they felt like it was hopeless, they just gave up. And so our coaches are there to support you, to help you. And we see, I can't tell you how many marriages that everyone else said there was no hope for them ultimately be saved because that one person 
stuck in there, hung in there, did what it took, and it absolutely changed everything. Joe, we have a couple of more questions that okay. have come in. One person says that her husband lives with his affair partner 800 miles away and they don't have any kids together, but they are in contact about once a month. He did raise her son for the last eight years and said that he still wanted to have a relationship with him. He said that he would give it a week and contact the son, who's now 20 years old, but it's been three months and there's been no relationship with the son. Is it guilt and shame? Or how can any contact happen with him now that he's gone completely silent? Okay. I understand why you would ask a question like that. Like, is it guilt or shame? We are people, particularly Americans, we are people who want to know why people do what they do. I guess that's uh, one of the legacies of Freud. <laughs> Sigmund Freud came along and, and started talking about understanding what's actually going on in people's minds. And we have evolved to that where now that Everybody wants to know what's in the other person's mind. And what I need to explain here, if I can, if I may, is that I can't tell you why. And nobody else can tell you why, even though there are many people who'll tell you exactly why. What I mean by that is if you say to somebody, is my husband doing that because of guilt and shame? There are X number of people are going to say, oh, yes, that's definitely what it is. X number of people are going to go, no, actually, it's this other thing altogether. This is what's going on. And what they're doing is either they're basing it on their own experiences and projecting their experiences into yours, which may not fit, or what they've seen other people or heard other people go through, and now they're projecting that into yours. And that does not give any accuracy at all. Could they guess correctly? Always possible that somebody guesses correctly, but nobody, nobody on the planet can tell you why your husband's doing what he's doing or as a matter of fact, he may not even be able to tell you why. Mm -hmm. You say, what do you mean? I'll guarantee you there have been times when you've done things and you thought to yourself later, why did I do that? <laughs> We're not always completely in touch with our own motivations. Not always completely understanding of why we do things, much less why other people. So I can't tell you why. No one on earth knows except him and he may not. Now you say, okay, we have no business together in the terms of kids, I can't make him contact the kid that he helped raise. We have no business together. We have no other kind of business together. He's 800 miles away. He's with her. The only way I would know that you would have a reason to contact him is if you are not yet divorced. In other words, if you were contacting him about that, say, Hey, this is something that's come up. This is something we need to talk about, something we need to deal with or whatever, like I need alimony, child, whatever it might be, then that becomes a thing for you to talk about in business-wise. Otherwise, if that's not there, then fabricating it is not possible. And, and I know this is frustrating, and I know people want us to say, tell me the thing I can do to make my husband or wife, who's way over there, that we have no reason to contact each other whatsoever because no kids, et cetera, et cetera. What can I do to make him talk to me or her contact me? If there's some magic way to do that, I certainly don't know what it is. As a matter of fact, I don't believe in magic like that. There's, there's nothing you can do to make that happen. Now, um, sometimes we talk about a Hail Mary where people just try the one last thing because there's nothing else to lose. And so you write the long letter telling about how much you love him, uh, talking about the kind of things you did in the past together that you wish you could have another chance with each other. And if there's absolutely nothing to lose with doing a Hail Mary like that, give it a shot. I mean, fly over there and knock on his door if you want to, but understand that if you do the Hail Mary, whether it's a letter going to see him, whatever it might be, be prepared that it may have a negative consequence and don't get upset if it does, or it might have a neutral consequence. Don't get upset if it does. If you're going to do a Hail Mary, understand it's just a shot in the dark. And if it works wonderful, if it doesn't, don't get mad, don't get upset, don't get sad. It was all over to begin with but I don't know how you make somebody contact you that has no reason to, unless there's some legal reason to, and it sounds like there's not that here, or unless you want to do that, just Hail Mary kind of thing. No, I know that's not the answer you wanted to hear. You wanted me to tell you some, oh, just do this. And I get that. I understand. So here's what I tell you to do. We talk about a thing called PIES, P-I-E-S, 
And if you go through our stuff on our website, marriagehelper.com, you can see about it. You go through podcasts on Spreaker.com. We talk about it. You can buy my book, The Art of Falling in Love. We talk about it. That's when you work on yourself physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually to become the best person you can. You say, but if he's 800 miles away, how does that affect him? It may never. But if you have any kind of mutual connection, Anybody that, that knows you that also knows him that might be talking to him, if they see you becoming the best you you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, then they might at some point tell him that, which might lead to some positive consequences. It's not a guarantee and certainly don't set them up. Hey, you need to call him and tell him how I've changed. That's not a good idea either. But even if nobody ever tells him, that's still the best thing you can do for you. And if you're doing those things and doing them well, there's a slight chance, a little chance that it might get to him and make a difference, but at least it's something you can do that's positive and that it always will have a good effect for you no matter what. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The, doing those pies absolutely makes a huge difference. And if you're watching this live, then I believe next week we're going to be talking more about the pies, the four steps to becoming the most attractive you can be. And if you're watching this later and you're like, man, where can I see that? Look on our other YouTube videos. We're going to have more about those as well. It's, it's a topic that no matter where you are, single, married, divorced, kids, wherever you are, the pies makes a difference for you as a person. As a matter of fact, if you have single friends, mm-hmm. ask them to tune into this thing next week yeah. because of the tune in. That's an old TV phrase. I don't think we use that anymore. <laughs> but but ask them to watch next week because we're going to be talking about also how the pies work for single people if they truly want to develop a good relationship with somebody else. Mm-hmm. So it won't just be now about marriage problems and crisis next week. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about pies in the terms of relationships in general. So if you have a single friend or a bunch of single friends out there, tell them, hey, you need to come watch this thing this week because that's yeah. going to be directly applicable to you and any relationships in which you might be now or any future relationships you might have. Yeah, it's going to be good. It is going to be good. When you said tune in, it reminded me of the fact that kids nowadays don't know what a telephone ringing sounds like. Like dialing the number and calling, there's no ring anymore. It just answers. Isn't that strange? That's just so strange to me. All right. So the next question we have that is right here. And I hope that made your day a lot better. It's just so fascinating. At least for a jet lag person, it's very fascinating. So what about when you have a spouse and they've, they've done something, they left, but now they're coming back, whatever that other something has been, but now they're coming back and they act like nothing happened. There's no consequences, so to say, this has been a huge thing. Even in the past couple of weeks of people I've talked to, they, they're really harping on this person needs consequences. They don't want to talk about what they've done, but I want to talk about what they've done. How, I mean, just my first line of response is consequences aren't always what we think they are. When we try and implement consequences because we've been hurt, we can actually do more damage than good in trying to reconcile the relationship. So what would your feedback be on that situation? There are actually different phases of reconciliation. Mm -hmm. So for example, the first phase when your husband or wife has come back, think about that as like you're dating again, because each of you now is thinking, maybe I want to put this thing back together. Let's give it a shot. Let's give it a try. And, and to expect heavy, detailed, involved things to occur in that first phase is actually pretty unrealistic. Now, does it sometimes ha- happen that way? Does it occur that way? Sure. A person might walk back in the door and say, I am so very sorry. Let's talk about what I did. But that's not typically the way it happens. It can happen, but it's not typically the way it happens. Typically, the first phase is, let's just see if we want to go to phase two. So let me come home. We'll hear it together. Let's see if we can be friendly to each other. Let's see if we can somehow recreate some kind of a relationship with each other. But it's more like a dating relationship at this point. It's like, let's get to know each other again. Let's see if we can feel safe with each other again. Let's see if we can actually get a vision of how this can be. And in that phase, 
we hear all the time from people saying, but it's time. He needs to talk about what he did. She needs to understand and explain what's going on here. Um, that's not the phase. Before you can have absolutely full, complete reconciliation, usually it requires that you do have that conversation. But that's down the line. Actually, I see a blinking red light on that camera, so I think maybe something's about to go bad there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't have enough time to explain in great detail the entire reconciliation process. Should there come a time when you guys talk about it? For most couples, yes. You say most, not every. Some couples actually just are fine because of the fact that here she came back. It's an implied understanding that I'm sorry for what I did, et cetera, et cetera. And, and those couples are actually comfortable with never having to go back and dissect a whole thing and talk about it. And for some, if that works for you, if it works for both of you, great. If one of you needs to talk, then that's going to happen at some point, or at least it needs to happen at some point. But don't think about that as being the initial thing. Let that be down the road a little bit. Expectations of what happens in early reconciliation should be very different than the expectations of what happens later in reconciliation. And so, Kimberly, maybe in a week or two, we can talk about the stages of reconciliation. Mm. Everything is about timing. If you push too hard too fast, it may not wind up being a reconciliation at all. So sometimes you just be happy for the mm. stage you're in, knowing that there are other things that can occur and will occur as you go down the line. Yeah, and that doesn't specifically address this this other question that came in, but the part you said about if you push too hard, too fast, it can lead to not the result that you were hoping for it to lead to. Someone asked, they said, my husband is now on antidepressants um, and he's that's how he's dealing, or at least this is how she thinks he's dealing with the decision to divorce. So his personality has changed and he doesn't feel anything towards me anymore. He makes no contact, but he will meet with me, although it's begrudgingly. We don't have children. We have little business to discuss. Will that one day become attractive, unattractive to him? And again, just like what you were saying is if someone is begrudgingly doing things for you, if they have this resentment towards having to meet with you or if they feel coerced or manipulated, then that's not going to lead to warm, fuzzy feelings. No. So again, you don't want to push things too hard, but you, um, just like Joe has said in, in the past and in other videos and in some other segments is that you want to, you want to work on you because you can, there's not a magic solution. There's not one phrase you can say that's going to automatically change things, but you want to work on you when you want to reach out when you can. And when you do, you want to be strong, calm, and gentle and kind but ultimately continue working on you and don't push things if it doesn't feel like they're going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And in this particular situation, a couple of things, um, antidepressants have pros and cons. Uh, I'm glad they exist because they've helped a lot of people, but people who are taking antidepressants at large doses, which typically is what you wind up having if they're really going to work, uh, at least for most people, it seems, that if you're having large doses of antidepressants, it can uh, kind of lead a person to be numb. There's actually some research, I've read it, about how that large doses of antidepressants, particularly SSRI, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, uh, like Lexapro or Zoloft, that family of drugs, um, can actually wipe out any, if not wipe out, at least diminish any feelings of romance whatsoever. Now, if your spouse is involved with somebody else, it's decreasing his or her feelings toward that person as well. But then you shouldn't expect him to all of a sudden have these warm, fuzzy feelings toward you because the high doses, if it's high, high dosage of the SSRI, if that's what he's taking, is actually decreasing his ability to feel those things. And so to expect him to feel it when he's taking that is not reasonable. You say, well, then he should stop that. Not necessarily. If it's helping him handle the depression, then being on that for a while is actually a good thing. Hopefully he's getting other kind of help as well, not just medicines, but some kind of counselor or therapist who can help him deal with the depression. Therefore, if he is going to meet with you, maybe that's the person you become. Don't talk about deep and serious matters because he's already depressed anyway. He's not processing that the way he would otherwise. If you're going to be spending time with him, if he's spending time with you, maybe is the better way to say it, then 
um, make it easy. Make it where there's nothing pushing or pressing him whatsoever. You know, let's go to dinner, and if his favorite team is the New York Yankees, let's talk about baseball. If his favorite thing is making model airplanes, uh, tell him that, boy, you might want to get him one for, for Christmas. Which ones does he like? In other words, you're having conversation that he can be involved in without having to do any deep thinking or deep feeling. Mm. And that then can become a comfortable thing where he feels good about being around you. Mm. I wouldn't try to be his therapist like, help, I'll help you with your depression. Unless you really are really good at that, I think I'd leave that up to the therapist. And even if you really are good at that, I think I'd still leave that up to the therapist. So the meds, pros and cons. In your situation, probably a good thing. If he meets with you without begrudgingly, and I'm assuming the begrudging has to do with the fact that you're talking about things he doesn't want to talk about. So if he's meeting with you for some other reason, like to have dinner every once in a while or whatever else, to have coffee, great. My suggestion is make it light, make it easy so that he actually winds up enjoying those meetings because it's someplace he can go and just feel good when he walks away from it. Mm. If you can help that happen, then good. But like Kimberly said, if he's going to walk away feeling, I didn't want to do that to begin with, I hated I was here, if that's what he's going to feel most of the time or maybe all of the time, then why keep meeting with him? Why build up that resentment towards you? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. So this principle that we have been talking about on this show of smart contact, of smart communication, there's different levels of intensity of it, so to say. If you're in the middle of a divorce or a separation, then that applying this is going to look a bit different than if you're applying this with your spouse and you and your spouse continue to get in an argument and you're not on the verge of divorce, but you're just trying to figure out how can we communicate better. When we fight, I keep pushing things. It pushes him further away. We continue in the fight and it's not leading to healthy communication habits. But the bottom line of both of these things is you want to build those healthy communication habits. You want to be that person that your spouse wants to continue to come back to, wants to continue talking to and you do that by reacting in a way that's not going to make them feel like they're being manipulated, like they're being pushed into doing something or talking about something that they aren't ready to talk about at that moment. And it might look like you taking some deep breaths, waiting a couple of days before approaching the topic again, and then approaching the topic in a situation that's more comfortable for both of you, approaching it in a way that you're not launching into them with anger and frustration when you start the conversation, but instead both of you are comfortable, your emotions are lower, you're calmer when you enter into that conversation. And then taking breaks from having any conversation that has to do with your marriage or something that's emotional, talking about those things that are business items, so to say, or the non-emotional items. If you're in a good relationship, but you're just having trouble with fighting, then it might look like, how was your day? If you're not in that spot, then what it might look like is, here's what the kids are doing right now. Here's the report card they got. Here's some information back about our taxes. And you use judgment and discernment on what you need to say back to them. But ultimately, when your spouse is willing to come back and talk to you, whether there's the divorce going on and so they're coming back and they're ready to talk about something or you've been fighting and you just haven't been able to come back to an agreement and then your spouse is, is just launching into a conversation with you of how was your day, then you're not going to go into that fight again. You're not going to respond in a way that's going to lead to negative communication like a fight but instead respond in a way that's calm, strong, and gentle, and in a way where they're gonna to wanna to continue a conversation with you again later. And you take this one day at a time. Every day's a new day, every day's gonna come with some unknown thing that's gonna happen, but ultimately you track towards the right direction, you go on that uphill swing of continuing to practice the things that are gonna lead your spouse to want to have conversations with you, to want to be around you. And that's ultimately the premise of smart communication. Very good. All right. Well, we are so glad that you joined us today. Please subscribe to the YouTube page, like it, and, and call us if you need us. Again, you can find us on marriagehelper.com. If you want more information about smart contact, 
on our website. You can search through the articles that we have, through the podcast. Just type in Smart Contact and you'll find everything you need. Next week, we will be talking about the four steps to becoming more attractive. To becoming more attractive. So if you have questions about that, something you would love to know more about, email us at live at marriagehelper.com and we would love to answer those or join us live next week. Invite your friends, whether they're single, married, whoever it might be, it's going to be an awesome, awesome, awesome show. So we look forward to seeing you next week and we hope you have a great one. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Kimberly. Have a good one. Take care.